I sure enjoy that opening from Pixie and the Party Grass Boys kicking off yet another episode of Last Chair. Hello, Utah skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast brought to you by High West Distillery, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West Passion is crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. Join me this winter at one of High West's must-visit locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. And thanks to our episode sponsor, St. Regis Deer Valley. It's springtime, so enjoy the warmth of the afternoon sun for an opera experience on the mountain terrace at St. Regis. Stick around for the nightly champagne sabering at 5.30. When you think of Utah ski towns, it's easy to think about Park City or the resorts in the Cottonwoods. But a ski town that is growing in popularity is Ogden, just a short drive north of Salt Lake City and situated within 30 to 40 minutes of three outstanding resorts. For a quarter century, the vibe along Ogden's 25th Street downtown has been electrifying with a corridor of restaurants and bars leading up to the gorgeous old Union Station. At the core of this renaissance has been an Ogden native, Kim Butchart. In 1995, Kim and husband Pete opened Rooster's Brewery on 25th Street. Along the way, Kim has been Ogden's biggest cheerleader, be it downtown or on the ski slopes at Snow Basin or Powder Mountain or Nordic Valley. Last chair caught up with Kim at the new Rooster's B Street Brewery and Tap Room in West Ogden, just minutes from downtown, to talk about how Ogden has transformed from a vital rail junction a century ago into a thriving 21st century ski town. As Kim explains, it's all about hospitality, a vital ingredient in the ski culture. Let's meet Kim Butchart for a conversation and, of course, a sampling from Ogden's hometown brewery. One of the beauties of doing your own podcast is you have the opportunity to pick the programs, and we are yet again at another tasting this week. Today I am in Rooster's B Street Brewery and Tap Room here in Ogden, Utah, and I should say the ski town of Ogden, Utah. And with me today is Kim Butchart. And Kim, thank you for joining us on Last Chair. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here and chat. So we're going to talk a little bit more about beer later. We're going to do a tasting down at the bar. But I have to say my first impression, I've been coming to the 25th Street location of Roosters for many, many years. But this tap room is unique. There's really nothing like it here. It's pretty special. And I love that you've been coming to Ogden for a long time. That means you're a hip guy, Tom. Well, I don't know if I'm a hip guy, but we've always enjoyed Ogden. I moved here in 1988, and Ogden was a town we discovered fairly early on, and it's been fun to come here over the years. And it really has grown up as a ski town. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But just to give us a little bit of a primer, why don't you kind of run through just a little bit of a history on Roosters? I know you started on 25th Street, have a couple of other locations and this being the newest one. Yep, we opened our first location on 25th Street in 1995. So we're celebrating 25 years, well actually pandemic, 25 years on 25th Street. And we opened our second location in Layton uh, 15 years ago. And then our 
place out here, Roosters B Street Brewery and Tap Room, is a totally different concept than what we've done in our other places. We're much more beer focused. We have a big, you know, we built a big building out here in West Ogden. We have a big production brewery and a super cool tap room with the best of my husband's kind of bar food. So we have delicious food out here, which, and we have all crowds, all ages, and our beer's getting out there, and it's really exciting. I will tell you that I had a little lunch today here, decided I, I thought I was going light. You warned me, though, in advance. <laughs> I had a calamari taco yes, and a fish taco. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that calamari taco. Oh, that calamari taco is awesome. So it's a, it has a little bit of ranch, but it has our buffalo sauce. Pete, Pete's kind of known for his really flavorful sauces on all kinds of things. I think you guys had the nachos with all yeah. the salsas and... That's like crispy calamari on a corn tortilla, and it's delicious, and I get it like every time I come out here, I, which is good that I don't come out here as often because I would eat one every day. You know, I want to get into your background a little bit, but first, j- just connect if you could. What's the importance of food and beer and drink in the hospitality aspect of the lifestyle of skiing and snowboarding? Well, I think that the lifestyle of skiing and snowboarding is a, is a whole ecosystem from the time that you get up on those fresh tracks or groomers and you know, you're with all your friends and then you meet up for lunch or you meet for an afternoon beer and hopefully have a rooster's beer on Snow Basin or Powder Mountain Patio. But, and then it's just all about the lifestyle afterward and we love it. I mean, I love all the, you know, the skiers have found us here at all of our places and they just want to keep the camaraderie going and they're hungry. They've expended a bunch of calories and to be able to come to a place that's warm and welcoming with people who live the lifestyle like our staff and our company does. It's a pretty special tie-in all the way around. Kim, you grew up right here in Ogden. Tell us about growing up here. It was a much different town then, but how much did skiing factor into your youth here in Ogden? It was so fun to ski when we were young. So we would go night skiing all the time at Powder Mountain, and I have fond memories of that. And then we would take the Snow Basin ski bus up to uh, the Snow Basin on Old Snow Basin Road. We would puke. The standard examiner ran a bus up there, and we would puke on the way up. Maybe have to, the bus would break down. We'd have to walk the last mile, you know, but you're with all of your friends. Both, And my parents were pretty... They, they weren't afraid to let us go and do stuff, and they were busy, so they just would drop us off or let us go with friends. Same thing, Nordic Valley. I mean, all three of those resorts are super, like, that's just part of our whole, my whole background growing up here. Just to clarify, the road you're referring to is no longer used. There's no a longer nice used. straight Although shot. Although it's a very nice uh, bike, you know, road bike road to go up or a place to go hike in the winter. But no, that is that is no longer used. One of the beautiful things of having the Olympics and the downhills were right up here at Snow Basin was the construction of a new road into the resort, which dramatically cut down the drive time, whether you're coming up from Salt Lake City, Park City, or even Ogden. And it's a pretty easy shot now. It is. And, you know, we, and it's definitely on people's radar. People are skiing at other resorts. They're like, oh, you've got to go to Snow Basin. And it's, it used to be so far to get up to Snow Basin or Powder Mountain, but with that road, it's just not with trappers and then the road on up to Snow Basin. So what did you find interesting about skiing when you started out as a young girl in Ogden? Just the freedom of it. Just the total freedom of it. My dad worked at a sports store, so he was way into it. And just kind of the 
the coolness and just being, and I still feel like that as a 50 something year old woman, I just still get such a rush from being outside and breathing the cold air or sitting in the sunshine. I prefer a really snowy day, but I don't mind a nice, perfect groomer day like you had at Snow Basin last week either. And I had at Powder Mountain. I mean, I ski, you know, Snow Basin is my home resort, but holy goodness, Powder Mountain is lovely. I had a wonderful day there a couple of weeks ago and it just reminded me how much I love it up there as well. So we're doing this podcast in kind of early-ish to middle-ish March. How many days do you have in so far this year? I think I have 30, but combined, not all Snow Basin. I mean, I'm a member of Ski Utah, so I take advantage of that. I've been up to Sun Valley, and I think I have 30, which for a working mom and business owner is a lot. <laughs> the Let's go back to Roosters and particularly 25th Street. Over the years, and I know the Olympics was a big catalyst for this, Ogden has really evolved. 25th Street right now is one of the most, I would say, famous streets and ski towns across America with the development that's gone on there. You were one of the first in that kind of new wave of lifestyle that was breathed into 25th Street in downtown Ogden. We definitely were, and we were young. I mean, we were in our 20s, mid-20s, and I, you know, you and I were talking about this because we were kind of one of the ones who planted our flag. And then what's happened on 25th Street since then is just beautiful to my heart. Like, I really, I love like walking out, looking up at the mountains, looking at my neighbor restaurants and friends around there. And it's just, there's something very special about it. But I, I, it, it took a good, well, the Olympics were the catalyst really, but I, I wanted to share one of my best memories. So in 2001, which I just figured, I was asking some friends, that was literally 20 years ago, um, that's when we hosted the World Cup. And it, I, have a, I have pictures of my cute son, he's 20 buff guy now, Philip, seven months old in a backpack. We were up there watching Darren Rolves and Herman Meyer, but it snowed like 27 inches. So the you know, the races had to be delayed, but also because along with World Cups, as you know, in other towns, they have these big celebrations, and and that's what you and your gang really wanted to do, is have a big celebration. So they had a big parade downtown. They had Earl holding up in the, on top of the Clydesdales, um, the carriage, and all of the skiers, and they had tons of people downtown, and fire pits, and I mean, it was really the first, and tons of snow, and I had, you know, my, I had two sons at the time, same time. My best friends had a couple of sons, and we had a Huey Lewis in the News concert outdoor on the Plaza Union Station, and that was really when I got a glimpse, and my friends up here, of what, really what our downtown potential was. There still wasn't a lot of businesses open then, but more than there were in 1995 and I just look back and I think that's exactly how it is now like it's like this dream come true. It really was I mean it was like a template was laid out for you and then over the succeeding years more and more businesses filled in on yes. 25th street. And to more and more authentic businesses like these are owner operator you know not most of them all are very very special neighbor businesses. Yeah, they really are. I talked with Mayor Caldwell mm -hmm. uh, a year ago, <laughs> your dear friend a year ago, and we talked a lot about this revitalization, but a lot of things were going on in Ogden in those years, not just the 25th Street, but also the influx of the equipment industry to the community, the outdoor equipment industry. Yeah, Solomon, Atomic, Sunto, eventually Emmy Wills. Yeah, and you know, it really was a 
a combined recruiting effort. We do a lot with a little up here in Ogden. You'll hear me say that, but it's because we we utilize each other's resources. So, you know, Mayor Godfrey at the time had decided that the vision of the, with a number of factors, the vision of our town was going, with, you know, input from us as residents, was going to be an outdoor adventure place. And just even the recruiting of the company of those brands, and we all just kind of worked together. I donated my restaurant space, you know, we got friends who hosted people, you know, on the recruiting effort. And the Goal Foundation was born right after the Olympics, which is a big thing for us up here. It's a volunteer organization that can bring all those wonderful events and support them with volunteers. So there's so many people that we just got together with our friends and said, how are we going to make this happen? And we did it together and keep doing it together up here. You know, one of the hallmarks of the 2002 Olympic Winter Games in Salt Lake City was the legacy that it brought to Absolutely. all of the communities around the Wasatch. Absolutely. The Goal Foundation was one of Ogden's Pride and Joy projects. Talk to me a little bit more about how that has brought a legacy here to the community in, in Ogden. The Goal Foundation, Get Out and Live, I'll give you the acronym, literally has changed the trajectory of this community. For the residents, for visitors, it's like we hung our hat on this get out and live lifestyle. And it's been, it's everything. It gave us self-esteem. You know, everybody comes to, everybody gets self-esteem around working together. And so if you're, you know, cheering someone on after a 26.2 mile marathon or an extra triathlon, it combined with what the city was doing, what the businesses were doing, us being discovered, it just, it gave our town a sense of soul. And then everything else kind of came around it and continues to come around it. It is still very viable. We have youth programs. We have programs for, you know, people just getting into learning to hike or learning to play pickleball or, you know, it's just, I, I, I get so emotional about it because it's such a special, it's such a special legacy in this town and it was because we all got together right after the 2002 olympics in july of 2002 and decided what do we want our what what legacy do we want the olympics to leave in our town of ogden kim relative to skiing and snowboarding are there more kids getting involved in it now with this program so much more i mean and just everything and running and you know that's how my kids became runners basically and hikers and the do tour and just all of these things like you know bringing people up to spectate we call it you can either volunteer donate spectate or participate and and as you know tom in your life it one time you might be a spectator one time you might that might motivate you to be a participant then your knees hurt and then you're a volunteer you know, then you're a volunteer and and definitely, obviously, donating is a big thing up here. We are a generous community. We don't have a lot of resources, but we are a generous community with our time, treasure, and talent. Kim, you yourself have also been very involved, not just with the Goal Foundation, but with lots being involved. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. <laughs> I we don't could even know how. It's do a crazy. whole podcast on the list of things <laughs> no. Kim's been involved with. But no. but what are the things that you've done within the community, within the the county? Uh, within Ski Utah that have really brought gratification to you and what you've been able to give back to the sport? Gosh, I've done a lot of stuff, but I would say really rolling up my sleeves and helping the Goal Foundation get off the ground. I served on the Ski Utah board for seven or eight years, and I went to everything. Like, if I say yes to something, I show up, you know? I rarely miss a meeting, and I, I feel like really understanding the ski community, which rolled me into the Utah Office of Tourism board, and 
which has rolled me into the whole tourism for the state. And those are, those are some really, I mean, I've done a lot of other things. And one that's really also special to me is serving on the Weber Basin Water Conservancy Board, because that's totally not with this, but obviously water management, our climate, all of that is very important. And those are probably my biggies. And, but more than anything, it's just because I love people. I love connecting people. And it is an ecosystem within tourism, within the ski and snowboard community. And I'm grateful to be a part of all of that. One of the things that I've noticed over the years with folks in Ogden, yourself included, is there's a lot of local pride involved here. This is a unique community, and you guys are proud of it, and you're proud to be attracting more skiers and snowboarders here. What I think is so special about that is because I think that, I I said that before we had our children, me and my husband, like, we're going to make this town a place, because we did struggle with an identity when the railroad left. I mean, as a lot of communities do, when you're big, your economic center leaves there was many years and we're just like hey we choose Ogden and we're going to plant our flag to me that's I'm so proud that the self-esteem of a community has risen and and it's the younger people too to me it's all about the younger people I am like when I kind of got on the scene I thought we were kind of part of a somewhat dying town but I'm not in charge anymore like there are people that are way smarter younger hipper using all of their skills and resources and and I just have you know we just happen to have the great gathering spaces for him to get it all done. Well it's an amazing place we're with Tim Butchard at Rooster's B Street Brewery in Ogden and we're going to be right back after this break and we're going to talk more about Ogden Snow Basin Powder Mountain Nordic Valley and the great ski and snowboard opportunities we have just a short distance away. We'll be right back on Last Chair the Ski Utah podcast. You can quickly see why Ogden has grown as a ski town with supporters like Kim. We'll be right back with Kim to talk more about Ogden and all the great skiing nearby. Spring is my favorite time of year to ski, and I'm sure it is for most of you as well. You have a season full of memories to talk about and hours of time for Opry before the sun finally goes down. That's when skiers really start to head for the mountain terrace at St. Regis Deer Valley. The Fireside Terrace offers a stunning view of the Wasatch Back. If it's chilly, just sneak on up closer to the Fire Garden. The Terrace Cafe is a great spot to grab a beer or wine or maybe Park City's own High West Whiskey. There's a special Opry menu being served now daily from 2 to 5 p.m. with a selection of cheeses, charcuterie, oysters, and other raw bar specialties. If you have a bigger appetite, check out the famous Rhyme Main Lobster Roll or the Wagyu Steak French Dip. If you want some more privacy, reserve one of the three cozy yurts on the St. Regis Ski Beach with indoor and outdoor seating for up to eight persons with special lunch, opera, and dinner menus. Do make sure to get a reservation. And time your opera to catch the nightly champagne sabering at 5.30 p.m., a tradition dating back to the time of Napoleon. The five-star St. Regis Deer Valley, your springtime opera spot at Deer Valley Resort. Now let's head back to Rooster's B Street Brewery to learn more about the ski town of Ogden. And we're back with Kim Butchart here at Rooster's B Street Brewery and Taproom in Ogden, Utah, ski town of Ogden, Utah. And Kim, thank you again for joining us. We want to talk now a little bit more about, first of all, the history of Ogden and then get up and talk about the ski areas itself. But Ogden really has quite an illustrative history that goes all the way back to the 19th century. 
Yes, it does. We were, I mean, the rail, you know, the, we're the east meets the west on the <clears throat> railroad. And all trains had to come through Ogden, Utah. And that was a big part of our economy. And that's kind of how 25th Street became its heyday in the old days. And there's still a lot of really cool remnants related to that. Yeah, we don't think about it so much right now, but there's been a number of miniseries on television that have kind of documented the building of the railroad to the West. And Ogden was really central. It was a really primary, a primary junction in the West. Yeah, it's super cool. We just had the sesquicentennial for the railroad and Union Pacific and and we had a big community celebration. And so we're really, you know, the younger people and people even like me really got to a big dose of history and celebration. And, you know, they did the reenacting of the uh, the Golden Spike. And I always say that we're a gritty town, and even our brand, we're gritty town, good people, great beer. But when I say gritty town, I mean, we're a hardworking town, but because those are our roots, right? Like that, we, the, being a railroad town, you know, <laughs> the Bordellos on 25th Street, the underground during prohibition you, you know we just have a really colorful awesome past and it really lives on it's in a different character of course but i think the town really has that vibe of the great history that it has i think so too and in the beginning when we opened roosters because that was the age of like you know chains and malls and whatever it you know, but that's, communities have gone away from that. They're restoring their downtowns. They're, you know, embracing these old relic buildings. And we, luckily, we still have those and they weren't all, you know, raised because that's what makes us special. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about the connectivity to skiing. Can you relate now, maybe over the last 20, 25, 30 years, how Ogden has become a ski town? What are the characteristics that have really lent it to taking on this new persona of a modern ski town? Okay, well, I'll start with the last 25 plus years, because that's how long we've been operating restaurants down here. And, you know, we are only 25 minutes from Snow Basin, about 35 minutes from Powder Mountain, probably 25 minutes to Nordic Valley. And so in the beginning, it was just people that skied here, more locals that skied, you know, people, ski racers, Spence Eccles, he was a big ski racer. And then it sort of started to evolve. And I knew, and then obviously when the Olympics came before that, so, you know, well, before the Olympics, I was realizing, yeah, we, we are a ski town. And we didn't have the infrastructure of, you know, much of the nightlife or the <clears throat> restaurants, but all of that just keeps coming and keeps getting better and better. And then also just our um, affordability, you know, you can stay downtown, kind of have that downtown fun experience, but then or you can stay in Ogden Valley and have a beautiful winter vacation experience if you want that mountain destination. You can kind of have both, but it's still very affordable and to these world-class resorts. How is Ogden being marketed right now by Visit Ogden? Are you looking to, are you getting skiers coming from around the country to make this their destination? Well, I can tell you that our whole winter business model has absolutely changed in the last, especially the last 15 years. So yes, that is definitely one of their pillars. It's not just about selling a convention or, you know, a sports event. It's about the the individual traveler come and spend time here because we have this four seasons destination. And yeah, they do a lot digitally. Obviously, there's a lot of park, you know, partnering with Ski Utah. And then a lot of it is just kind of word of mouth. And obviously, with the power of social media and review sites and all of that these days, it just does 
kind of blown up. And I love it. I love seeing, looking on 25th Street or out here at B Street and seeing a bunch of skis or snowboards on the car and people are in their beards and hats and <laughs> drinking a beer. It's, it's pretty, you know, eating a really good burger, enjoying themselves. I mean, to me, that's like, okay, we made it. You know, we made it as a ski town. Let's go up to the ski areas now. And you have three uniquely different resorts. Can you tell us a little bit about each one of them? Yes, I can. So I'll start with Nordic Valley, which is more of a, it's more of the learn to ski hill. It's a little lower elevation, but they also just, they, they have big plans to get bigger. And they also just put in this really, you know, high speed, or high speed four pack that goes high. And then Powder Mountain, I just skied there a couple of weeks ago. And like I said earlier, Snow Basin is my home resort, but Every time I go there, I'm like, why am I not buying season passes to both? One, because I just don't have as much time. But it is, um, it used to be a smaller hill, and I have a lot of memories growing up there. But now, I mean, there has, they have put in beautiful lifts. It is, I don't have the acreage, and you should fill that in, but... There's a lot of acreage. A lot of acreage, a lot of unskied, and just a beautiful destination. And when people go there, and, and it's different, you know, it doesn't have the the lodge vibe like Snow Basin does. So Snow Basin is, as we know, we are very uh, grateful to the Holding family for the investment that they made in Snow Basin. And around, you know, pre-Olympics, you know, we have these, we have been so spoiled here. These, we have these just world-class lodges and the mountain is so beautifully green. They have the best team up at Snow Basin right now. Davey Ratsford is the general manager and they've had great people over the years, mountain guys, finance guys, but Davey, I call him the vibe guy because that they are kind of clicking on all four cylinders and it's just fun to be there and they have it all. I mean, it's a, it's a huge acreage resort as well and just beautiful. Amidst the COVID pandemic, they also found a way to manage their 80th anniversary and I think you've got an example of it right in front of you now. Okay, cause so Tom can see me smiling so big. So I am a what 30 year pass holder, our families are, all of our boys are, we hang all of our ski passes on our, Christmas tree from past years, and I'm holding the 80th anniversary Snow Basin Pale Ale, established in 1940. And to me, because we all are we are all about partnerships, like this one's a big one for me. I mean, I've always claimed Snow Basin, and we don't always get claimed by Snow Basin because maybe we weren't, we weren't cool enough. Cool enough, but now we are. We're totally cool enough. You're definitely cool enough <laughs> We're now. Definitely cool enough. And it's a great beer. It's doing great um, up at the resort. It's doing great in the places where, you know, we couldn't keep it in stock. And hopefully we're going to do one with them every year. But it's it's a beautiful can. So hopefully we'll get some image on the, what, the podcast? Or how do you do that? Your, the blog? Or, we'll have it on the blog for yeah. sure. And and I think we're going to do a little tasting yeah, in a few we'll minutes. See, yeah. I want to ask you about the graphic on it. I mean, how did you, I mean, it's, it's a trail map graphic. But anything innovative in coming up with that idea? Yes, it's the Snow Basin Trail Map. I mean, if you really look closely, you can see all the runs. And obviously, Snow Basin is, they call they consider themselves a Sun Valley Resort. So there's the eight and the gorgeous sun, which there's a lot of sun up there and a lot of sun in our town. And I mean, I love that. I was up there last weekend and I was talking to the mountain manager and I'm like, is this the best graphic? How can you get a better graphic than the trail map of Snow Basin, right? So a guy could have have this in his pocket on the chairlift and utilize it as a map, right? They could. And I, I don't, I don't advocate this, but because this is one of the cans that it's wrapped with a sticker, like I, I have to admit that I've seen in some of the gondolas that people have taken the sticker off the can and stuck it on the gondola. And I, it wasn't me, Davey, it wasn't me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I promise. It's 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 a badge of honor, though. We're going to be tasting the Snow Basin 80th anniversary pale ale in just a little bit. The it is interesting, as you described, Kim. The character of these resorts is is really so different. Um, I have been up to Powder Mountain. It's been a few years, but it's a very just yeah. I, there's a very it's a snowboarder vibe. It's a sort of the mountain man vibe. The you know those guys that those people that don't want a really nice, really nice. Although they have although they have great food up there. The COVID has been hard for all of them, but they've all adapted and done a wonderful job with it. And there's new ownership up at Powder Mountain over the there last are. some years, right? Mm-hmm. And they're pretty special. I mean, I can't speak to the details of that, but it's very special what's happening up there. And I'll also give them a major summer shout out. I mean, their general manager, Mark Chotel, he is just a great guy like Davey, and they are great community partners, you know, for our events, for mountain bike races with the Gold Foundation. We do this, uh, it's called El Dose. It's like a 24-hour mountain bike ride that, you know, my boys, and they, they've, they've got some really special things going on up there at Powder Mountain as well. Yeah. If and, it- and Nordic and Snow Basin. I mean... You know, it's a year-round sport. <laughs> so one of the things that impressed me, I was overnighting in Ogden a year or so ago, staying at the Hampton Inn right downtown. You can take a bus right from downtown Ogden up to the resorts. Yes, you, there's two different buses that go, and they a couple of times a day, they go from the hotels right up to Snow Basin and to Powder Mountain. You can't take, there is not bus service to Nordic Valley, but how easy is it? Throw your skis on, you can... Go up there. If you choose to have a drink after, the bus brings you right back down to your opre, your second opre ski. And and then the residents use it too. My, my 16-year-old, he is on that bus in the morning and happy to be there. You know, one big element of the Ogden community is the fact that you have a major U.S. Air Force base here with Hill Air Force Base. And I know that there are a lot of skiers and snowboarders uh, out, of, out of that group of, uh, of pilots and other support staff there. Yeah, and you know, I'm re- we're really tied in with the Air Force. Like when we opened our Layton place, we really I got invited to be part of an honorary. I forgot that's my one other special thing. When you asked me what's been special to me, but yes, and a lot of them retire here. I mean, they love the skiing, and bo- and all of the resorts ha- are very military friendly, and they get special, um, you know, special pass pricing, and they get their kids up there and. It's a, that's why people love to be stationed at Hill for, for so many reasons, but then they end up living here too, which is great too, because we hate to see them leave, but they retire here. So Kim, we're going to head down to the bar here in just a minute for a tasting. Can you give me any, any kind of a preview of what I can expect down there? Well, we're going to go down to the tap room. It's just, we'll, we'll get some photos on there, but it's just like such a fun, colorful place. My brewmaster, Steve Kirkland, he was our original brewer when we opened in 1995. And now he has a whole brew crew. You know, we have a female brewer. We have, um, you know, a brewer out in Layton. And then we have other the staff. And they, they really collaborate on what's going on. But Steve is rock solid. And uh, you're going to taste, I think, four, four or five different beers. I mean, we have more than that, obviously. But I think you're going to, de- you, you want to taste our bestseller, hands down, it's honey wheat. But I'll let, I'll let Steve tell you about all that.
Well, welcome back, everyone. And this is the most important part of the show here today because we have now moved downstairs at the into the tap room here at Rooster's B Street Brewery and Tap Room. And with me today is the head brewmaster, Steve Kirkland. And Steve, welcome and thank you for joining us here today on hey, last year. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Number one guy. So before we get started on the beers, let's just establish that Steve and I are both from the Midwest, but he's from the Chicago area and I'm from the Wisconsin area. So naturally he has a Bears mask on today. I don't have my Packers mask on. Just as well. Just as well. I can figure that's what you say. I'm a Packer fan too. You're a Packer fan too? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, excellent. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> so, Steve, why don't you walk us through, uh, we're going to taste, uh, we have six beers in front of us right now. Uh, I am already starting to think about what some of my favorites probably are going to be, but why don't you get us started, uh, I think we're going to start with the honey wheat. Tell yeah. us a little bit about it and get us going. Okay, so, you know, all beers are made from essentially four ingredients, uh, water, malted barley, hops, and yeast. Um, so you can have dozens and dozens of styles with only those four ingredients. And what makes them unique is how, how the different malts that you use, the different hops that you use, and the different yeasts that you use. In our honey wheat, we use very, very light malts and very few hops. So what we're really looking for is the crisp, clean taste and slightly sweet of the honey itself. So we do add honey in this beer. That's called an adjunct uh, when you make beer with something other than those four ingredients. And so what we have here, we have our, our honey wheat and it's very light, it's crisp. You can drink it all day. It's very slightly sweet. I wouldn't say, you know, most of that honey, uh, the, the sugar in the honey is fermented out. So it doesn't leave a lot of residual sweetness. But what you're getting is some very subtle malt characters and, and a little bit of sweetness, but not a lot of hop on this one. Okay, Kim, cheers. Hey, cheers. Where do you get our honey, Steve? Quarter honey? Our honey actually comes from Idaho, so it's not that far away up mm -hmm. in uh, Blackfoot. And this is our, one of our, it used to be called the Bee's Knees. Honey. It, 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 it is still, still is. Bee's yeah. Knees, absolutely. Bee's Knees Honey Wheat, and that is our uh, best-selling beer. All we sell more of that lifetime. than we have Still, forever. Right? Yep. Still. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think so. that's true with a lot of breweries. And I'm, I'm a big honey wheat fan. I still, though, don't understand exactly what part of the process do you inject the honey? It goes into the... Uh, so after you boil your wort, right, that's where you have this, uh, this sweet malt solution and you add the hops in there for the bitterness. From there, it goes into what's called a whirlpool, which, which you spin out some of the precipitates that come through in the boil. And we add the honey in that. So right before it gets heated up in the whirlpool, right before it hits into the fermenter. That's really tasty. You know, one of, the, tasty. one of the things, maybe you guys have some expertise on this. We're doing a tasting here today. We've got six beers in front of us. We have to be able to walk out of here tonight. So <laughs> how do you pace yourself? Oh, well, you sip. You sip. You know, and I, I, you, Tom, everybody, you don't have to drink it all. Yeah, no, everybody, everybody <laughs> we says. We have big bats full of that and stuff. Everybody thinks that a brewer has just got the greatest job in the world. They could drink all day. Well, it's like any other job. If you, you don't really get to drink on the job a whole lot. So we sip. Uh, we do taste everything we make. We make sure that it's on spec. Uh, but we don't sit down and pound it, you know, by any means. Well, it's, it's, it's really a good one. So we are with the Roosters. Bees knees, honey wheat to kick things off, and where to from here? Well, uh, so the other, th so if a 
malting company who, from where we get our, our malt, uh, they can manipulate the drying process of the malt, the barley, to give it varying colors and flavors. Even though we're still using just those four ingredients, our uh, red ale, for example, that I'll pour for you now, uh, has a lot of what's called a caramel malt in it. So that gives it something of a, uh, a brown or red color and a, a very a slightly sweet um, caramel-like flavor. Uh, we do add uh, a fair amount of hops in this one too to give it balance. We don't want it to be all malt or all hops. So this is a very uh, balanced uh, red ale uh, 7% alcohol, so it is a little bit higher on the alcohol range. Um, nice ruby color if you hold it up to the light. So it's a, it's a pretty a, beer. It's a very it's pretty, a beer. Very pretty yeah. beer. And can I ad lib here? Absolutely. So this one, Tom, is called the Rude Ram Red Ale. Rude Ram Red. And the Rude Rams are the first flying fighter squadron for the F 35. I told you earlier oh, about yeah. our. So they're very proud of this, and obviously every squadron wants a beer. But we just—it just—it happened. It was a beer that we made for them before, and now it's in a can. And so I didn't even know that was going to happen. And did you go up in one of their planes? I haven't been in F thirty-five, but I've flown in an F sixteen. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. I don't think they let anybody ride no. on the F thirty-five. The F thirty-five is a single seater, you know. Did you pick up the caramel malts in that? Did you get the notes in there of the little caramel? That's that's what that's mostly what malt does for you. It gives it, it gives oh, you right. that uh, the the roasty quality, the caramel quality, and, and that sort of thing. Steve, you're kind of a pro. You're impressing me. Well, well he's the brewmaster. I know. So. <laughs> I think he's my friend though, but I forget. This is what he does. <laughs> okay, where to next? Moving on. on. Okay, so a very very popular style these days are. IPAs. IPA stands for India Pale Ale. It's a variation of the pale ale style. Uh, pale ales tend to be um, somewhat pale in color. Uh, the original pale ales were called as such, even though they were kind of an amber almost, uh, just because way back when, uh, early beers were more of a brown color. So if it was less than brown, it was considered a pale. So a pale ale is not necessarily light uh, in color, but it, it generally is a, a kind of a, a golden to an amber. But the, the uh, trademark of a, of a pale ale is that it's hoppy. So where the red was mostly focused on malt qualities, uh, pale ales are, are very hop forward. Um, and hops can provide a fruity character to a beer. It can uh, provide a very um, uh, floral character. So we have a few of them. Of course, the Snow Basin, I think you probably talked about earlier. Um, And he's had that. Okay, so you've had the Snow Basin. I can crack it for you anyway, because why not have another one? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Uh, So this is a, uh, uh, the the pale ale that we brewed for Snow Basin's 80th anniversary. Uh, It's it's a nice, uh, uh, you know, light, lighter, color uh, it's it is hopped nicely and i think it's a one of our more balanced pails okay so it's not super hop forward it, you could still get a good so malt nice. quality yeah. out of that that's very nice pale ales have become hugely kind of a, popular hugely popular. yeah they're all the rage right now when when you were having the discussions kim with snow basin on doing an anniversary beer did you look at different types of beers you might use, or did you just decide, hey, we're going to go with the standard? You worked with Snow Basin. We I think that a, was something they wanted. They wanted, yeah. and they, you know, we all wanted a really uh, 
what would you call it? Drinkable beer. A very drinkable, but yeah. Tasty. Something that you could do a couple runs, yeah. go in the lodge or, or the yurt yeah. or wherever they yeah. were having it, ha- right. have a beer, and then go out and do some more without right. hurting yourself, you know. I told them that I have found some uh, label cans stuck on gondolas, and I told them <laughs> it was not me, ever. I would never deface property. Of course not. Property. No, it's you very wouldn't. important, though. It's, it's what's called branding. <laughs> Branding. Oh, that was nice. That was nice. Steve, Excellent. Where, where to next? Okay, so another uh, example of, of the IPA, we have our Untamed Juicy IPA. Juicy describes uh, the kind of hop you use, so it's very citrusy. Um, again, that we don't actually add fruit to this beer. There's no passion fruit. There's no grapefruit. Uh, there's no fruit at all, but there is hops that exemplify a very fruity flavor. Mm -hmm. And so so they call it juicy, like almost like if you're drinking some kind of a tropical fruit juice. So help me understand this, because I'm a big fan of juicy IPAs, Uh big fan of hazy IPAs. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? You know, uh, uh, hazy is a kind of yeast that's used uh, that doesn't settle out. And so the actual product has a little bit of a murk to it. It's not uh, a pristine looking beer. Although none of our beers are exactly, you know, it's not like you could read your newspaper through them. Um, we, we do try to clear them up as much as we can, but a hazy is intentionally a cloudy beer. So Tom, if you see on um, behind Steve, that we have the Rooster Tail Hazy IPA. We're not gonna uh, taste that one, but we could, you could buy some and take it home. Um, but it's, that is a great beer. That if you like hazies, definitely buy some of that and take it home. Um, this right here, this untamed. So, bra- so Ogman's kind of branded around this untamed. We're an untamed spirit, notoriously independent, blah, blah, blah. So we kind of did this as an ode to Ogden. And this is two actual skiers. This is Snow Basin here, actually. A lot of people don't know that. This is where Strawberry, they're kind of hiking up here, uh, the backside of the Moise, and then that's the Strawberry uh, peaks over there so kind of a fun fact this is one of the most gorgeous cans Hello, i have ever seen i know right who, who's the artist on it who did that well the photo is real i don't know who, we have we have a designer that works with our cans yes and he does a wonderful awesome. job he's done uh most of our specialty don't you love labels our branding do you notice that with the the two kegs we, we went through a big rebrand when we opened b street and it just i feel like we just nailed it with that with the Great beer, gritty town, good people, because that's who we are. But it's not a pretty can. I love that can. Untamed, juicy. Untamed. I'm sorry. Untamed, juicy IPA. Cut them this off. is a good one. Yeah, cut <laughs> yeah. me off. Is it, do you like this one? I love this one. Yeah, this is right in my wheelhouse. That's, that's been a big favorite. The last podcast I did, it was coming off the line with these other two guys, and they got to, they're like, oh my goodness, you know. <laughs> uh, that's a definitely an oh my goodness moment. Yeah. Before we go on to the next, yeah. you were talking to me about the clarity and what the, the beer Yeah, so a like. hazy is just, is it, it, the, 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 the appeal to that one is that it is, it is essentially unfiltered. It, um, it's not stripped down at all uh, through the, any kind of a clarification process. It is a little bit hazy. Um, and that attributes more to the mouthfeel, too. It gets a little bit uh, more of a, a, a coating on your tongue and your mouth. And, and that, in addition to the, a lot of hops as well, to give it the characteristic of a hazy IPA. Steve, let's go back to our mutual childhoods back yeah, in the Midwest. Sure. <laughs> I drank Miller, Miller High Life. Right. Never Miller Lite, but Miller High Life. Right. What was your go-to back then? Well, you know, I wasn't... 
well, I, my first brewery that I wor- ever worked in was Sprecher. I don't know if you've heard of Sprecher oh, yeah. out, of, out of Milwaukee. So we were uh, uh, producing predominantly lagers. Uh, now we're doing mostly ales. We do do lagers here too. Our Niner Bock is a double Bock. It's a lager. We do a Pilsner. Uh, so those are some standard lagers that we have. So I kind of cut my teeth on the lagers. Um, and so those were some of my favorites. I drank the, uh, uh, the special amber that Sprecher made. Um, they had a terrific uh, Schwarz beer that was just uh, wonderful, deep, dark, uh, dark beer. Times Black have, Bavarian style, they called it. Times have changed then. I don't know how you differentiated beers in that age. They just all kind of were the same to me compared to today. Oh, well, yeah. Before the craft, it was all one, uh, basically what they called an American Pilsner, which was a watered-down version of the, of the European style. Um, so, yeah, that's, that, all, most American beers were pretty much the same. Yeah. And still are, for the most part. Well, thank goodness the craft brewery revolution came along. Thank goodness, indeed. So we have two more to go. Yeah, okay, so sticking with the uh, the IPA, we do have our double IPA, Ogden double IPA. Um, liquor store na- beer. Yep, liquor store beer. We Believe it or not, I was at a, uh, a taste of a beer fest, and we were pouring Ogden double IPAs for people, and one of the uh, partiers at the saying said uh so where's this made <laughs> said uh ogden double ipa well, i'll give you three guesses um anyway in so, which city is the berlin wall <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh, who, who's buried in grant's tomb exactly um so the the double ipa is is all the way up to eight percent so a double ipa is is exemplified by the alcohol content um most ipas technically should be you know, at least 5% or more. Uh, a double IPA, this is up to 8. Uh, and we, we dry hop this beer, which means that we add additional hops post-fermentation uh, to give it an additional citrus quality. Uh, we use Eldorado hops in this, as well as Idaho 7 hops, which give it a, 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 a not only a tropical flavor, but also kind of a piney flavor too. So you get uh, some real complex hop character in this one. I have a question on hops. One of my favorite is Mosaic. Can oh, you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? Yes. Do you use that in any oh, beers? Well, our Blood Orange is largely a Mosaic hopped beer. Probably why I really enjoyed that yeah, one. Yeah, it's a super, super citrusy, very tropical uh, tasting. And uh, super. that's probably our second bestseller, I think, uh, behind the honey wheat is, is that. So it's, it's, a, it's also a very, very popular beer. Well, I'm a big IPA fan. The double IPA here is a really good one. It, it is not too bitter. I mean, there's a lot of hop in here, but it's not too bitter. That's correct. You know, uh, uh, personally, I like bitter. Um, I like a lot of bitter in my, in my IPAs. But we were really going for more of the, uh, the, the, the tropical flavor, the, the, the notes on, on the nose, and not so much the bitter on the tongue on this one. Oh, this is a good one. And we're down to the last one The now. last one. I just wanted to give an example of, uh, okay, so, again, like the honey weed, if you go beyond those four ingredients, you can create all kinds of different uh, flavors. Um, so I brought out our um, B Street Blackberry Cream Ale. Um, so, as the name implies, we do use uh, a blackberry puree when we make this beer. And that goes, again, 
post-fermentation, it goes right into our bright tank. So it, it sits on this and goes right from there into the, uh, into the can. So it's, it's fresh, fresh blackberry flavor. So um, also proven to be very popular. Steve, as you're pouring that, I don't, these are, beers are so good, and I don't get the, to give you a shout out very often, but to have, Steve is a consistent brewer of clean beers, like our, I, seriously, so can I just do that, Tom, well, I think he just did, but yes, <laughs> go ahead. Thank you, Kim, I appreciate yeah. that. You know, the thing I like, Steve, about you and doing this tasting is, you know exactly how to describe the beers. You continue talking, and you let the host simply drink beer. And isn't that <laughs> well, what, what you life know, is I mean, about? That's what a host does, right? We're hosting you today, and, and we want you to have a good time. So well, drink up. Here's cheers. Cheers, cheers. Steve Kim. Cheers. This one is also a DABC liquor store beer. That's right. Yeah, you don't need to you know, twist my arm too much to sit around mm. and talk about beer. So it's been my pleasure, really. Yeah. So fun. Oh, this is a good one. I, I am generally a little bit mixed on fruit beers. But uh, this so is Steve. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's not my go-to, but you know what, what we strive for in a fruit beer is, is, is a beer with some fruit in it, not a super fruity tasting yes. beer. And that's what I right. liked about this. Yes. So we're, we're going for the, you know, in our blood orange, is, is it, you can taste the blood orange in it, but it's not beating you over the head same with the the blackberry we just want you to have a beer that has a little subtle flavor of blackberry in it and i think uh, we've achieved that well you've done very well uh you know the other thing you've done is you've livened up cream ale a little bit here with yeah this. yeah exactly a cream ale is is typically a, a lighter beer as well and just it's a nice creamy um you know mouthfeel but we pepped it up a little bit with the blackberry Good. Well, Steve Kirkland, thank you very much for this tour thank of you, Rooster's Beers. My pleasure. Number one employee and partner. Steve Kirkland, thank you very much for joining us on Last Chair. You bet. <laughs> well, Kim, thank you very much for bringing Steve out of the brew house to yeah. serve us a few beers here today. He is way better at that than I am. I have learned more on these things than, you know, I have, I have a different job here. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap things up here in last chair with a fun section that I call fresh tracks and a few, what I, I used to pose this as really simple questions to my guests, but then they come back and say, oh man, that's really difficult, but <laughs> hopefully this won't trick you too much. Uh, but just what I hope will be an easy one again to start with your favorite ski run here in the Ogden area. When you, if you've got one like great glory run you want to take, where's it going to be? My favorite ski run is the Sisters Bowl on a powder day off of Strawberry Gondola at Snow Basin. Nothing like that, huh? Right. Nothing like it. Not for everyone, but that's a glory That's a glory run to me. When you get out and about around the state of Utah, do you have another favorite ski area you like to go when you decide, hey, we're going to take a little road trip today and go somewhere else? Well, I love them all, but I love it down at Brian Head too. I mean, just because you're there, it's kind of like it's kind of like being in an old ski town, and you're right on the mountain. And I just have fond memories of my kids as little ski racers, and cross, you know, just all of it. So I'd, I'd say Brian Head, but I love them all. This this state is fantastic. Kim, you grew up here in Ogden. I know you left for a few years to pursue a business career, but ultimately found your passion right back where you grew up. As you think back to your time here in Ogden over the years, do you have like a favorite memory that is quintessential Ogden? 
I said it a little bit earlier and it might have been cut, but my favorite just literally for me still is walking out of Roosters on 25th Street and looking up at those mountains as the sun sets. We call it the mountains are pink. It's time to drink (laughs) as they're pink. And I look at my neighbors and my community and I'm just like, we live here. That's my that's my passion phrase. We live here. Okay, now let's get down to the really important lifestyle items. Do you have a favorite High West whiskey brand? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. The original, Rendezvous Rye. I'm not really much of a whiskey drinker, but I love that one. And then Steve's wife, Julie, her favorite is the American Prairie. So Love, the, love both of those. Steve's wife is a big whiskey drinker. Have you guys done any blends or any barrel-aged we've beers? Done some, we've done some bourbon barrel-aged things, yeah. <laughs> I love those. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. I'll let you know when you we have, do another one. You don't have one right now. I don't think so. No. Should, I don't think we should asked the brew man. Should have hey, asked him. Uh, Caitlin, do we have any barrel bourbon barrel aged stuff right now? Yeah, we just had some. But the word is they're out. they're all out of it. Okay, this one I ask every one of my guests this question. For you, it has special meaning. Your favorite Utah craft beer. Of course, I have to say one of mine, even though there's amazing beers out there. But Steve's, one of Steve's original was the Junction City Chocolate Stout. It's a dark, rich, robust stout. It has a little bit of a cult following. And it was one of our originals. We don't can it. It's only in draft. Um, but it is still just a delicious beer. Last question I ask all of my guests. Groomers, moguls, glades, or powder? Powder. Powder. Everybody wants to go there. And what's your favorite run again? The Sisters Bowl off of Strawberry (laughs) Gondola at Snow Basin Ski Resort. Kim, thank you so much for hosting last chair here today at Rooster's B Street Brewery and Taproom. Tom, it was so fun. Thank you so much for knowing Ogden. And now... Ready? Cheers? We could finish these beers. What? Cheers! I always have a good time when I'm in Ogden and appreciate Kim, Steve, Pete, and the whole gang at Roosters for showing me some good old-fashioned ski hospitality. You still have a little time this season to hit Snow Basin, Powder Mountain, or Nordic Valley in the final weeks of the season. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, St. Regis Deer Valley. Enjoy an opera experience on the mountain terrace this spring at St. Regis. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. In our next episode of Last Chair, we'll talk about a topic that is important to all of us. How we can be better stewards of our snow-covered landscape. Joining us will be David Perry from Altera Mountain Company, one of the most respected voices on sustainability. Now let's turn it over to Pixie and the Party Grass Boys to close out this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski.